for joining Off The Record. Today I'll be your host, Eric Afric. Very excited to have you guys here today. Before we start, as always, I want to make sure that all listeners are aware that any content provided by our guests are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic groups, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. You know, often we think about powerhouse couples. Majority people think about Beyonce and the Jay-Z's of the world. But for me, in a professional setting, and we're going to speak today of diversity and inclusion, I think about Cecilia Stanton Adams and Melissa Adams, who I am very, very excited to have here today to take us through this journey. Ladies, welcome. Thank you. Thank we're you for so having us. Here. Yes. yes. Super this excited. Definitely a very exciting and privileged to have you both as practitioners of diversity and inclusion. You guys have dedicated half of your professional career, really bringing awareness to the industry and, and um, thinking outside the box. And this is the reason why I want you guys to take us through this journey for our audience. And the reason why it's called Off the Record is because I kind of want to have some of that candid conversation that we can't have in a professional setting. W wouldn't you agree? Yeah, right, right. I think it's time. I mean, we need to start to push the envelope. We need to move outside of our comfort zone in order to really be effective and successful um, and connected in this new community that we're living in that is so diverse. Um, yeah, yeah, this is part of the work. Excellent. And one of the topics that I was really interested to start here today is going to be unconscious bias. You know, often, you know, you hear the, this topic, giving trainings and, and, and uh, uh, workshops about unconscious bias, but yet it's such a complex topic for me. You know, mm -hmm. I, I see it in many angles in which I kind of want to make, you know, I, I don't where I don't know where um, it affects me personally and professionally. So I kind of want to have that conversation with you guys. And, and first, like based, like how can we just define in a simplistic way, unconscious bias? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, think about our brain, right? The uh, primitive part of our brain it is called the amygdala and it's in the back part. And that part of your brain is responsible for taking in lots of information in the environment and making sense of it very quickly. But that part of the brain is looking for anything that's danger, right? So, you know, think about it when you're walking across the street, if a car is coming up and you see it getting ready to come, you're going to automatically react and move, right? That's amygdala at work. It's, it's picking up really quickly what's going on in the environment. And, you know, you either, uh, it's either fright, uh, what is it? Flight, fright, or freeze? Right, fight, flight, freeze. But uh, there's another one to that too, which is um, focus. Right. Sometimes we focus on certain things within that moment, and that's how we start to react. Oh. So it makes sense when we're walking across the street, right? And the car is coming or there's some other danger. But when we're meeting someone that's different from us right, then it, it's actually doing the exact same thing. And gotcha. it, it's fueled by, you know, what we've learned, not only um, 
in our own purse for our own personal values, but also what we've learned from um, the media, what we've yeah. been socialized to believe growing up. You know, so if you think about gender, if you, um, you know, uh, for pilots, you know, people that are they're flying planes or whatever, most pilots we think of as men automatically, right? Um, if you do a Google search for, you know, um, uh, what do you call, uh, what did I just say? What is pilot. the, the pilots, then you're gonna see uh, mostly white men showing up. If you do a Google image search. Google search. image search, right? Right, and that's interesting stuff. You know, what's funny too is Cecilia is talking from a place of reference. Cecilia has actually done research in the laboratory on human subjects around implicit bias, asking people, when you see this picture of this woman, what's the first thing that comes to mind? And what were some of the answers? Oh yeah, they would um they would be like a wife, a mother, um you know, and and the thing about it is we we more quickly categorize people in the buckets that we've already put them in. Right, because right? we've been socialized to believe that. Go ahead, I'm sorry. You were going to say something, Eric? I was, and you caught my attention on something you just said about implicit bias. So what is the difference between implicit and unconscious bias? Well, they both relate to the idea that, you know, we're not aware. So they actually are interchangeable. Some researcher will use the term implicit bias and some will use unconscious bias, but they're both referring to um, not having that level of consciousness. So it happens like that, right? It's, it's, a, um, it's one of those uh, things that we can't control. Right. And um, I liken it to if you know your way home from work and you've been working at the same place for 10 years, even for a year, and you're driving home the uh -huh. same route, you could almost do that route with your eyes closed. I don't mean yes. people should try it. I just mean <laughs> this is it's 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 woven into your blood memory. Now, you already go the same route every time, every day, every way. It's already woven into your blood memory. And a lot of things become woven into our blood memory and we don't even realize it. Man, you see, and this is why I'm always saying, so any, every time I hear about this topic, I learn something new, right? It, it's different angles in, in the way people are messaging the unconscious bias and the effects of it. Now, one of the things that I always struggle with is, you know, in organizations and professional settings, you're going to get multiple trainings on it. But do you think in your opinion that a, it could be measured whether it's successful or not? Is it attainable? Do you think where organizations are measuring success or opportunities in that space? You know, the thing about it is we we all have unconscious bias, right? Bias are those things that, you know, are normally gonna show up in our life because that's the way we're hardwired. And so it's important that in organizations, if you wanna create a diverse workforce, you have to put in place in your processes, um, places where you're gonna catch that bias. Right. right. Otherwise, you have a company of people that look like yourself and maybe right. represent the same expertise and the same perspectives, because that's who we resonate with. That's who we connect with. So when we're in that interview, I'm going to connect with someone that's more like me than someone who's very different. And then I'm going to maybe transfer that into thinking, well, she's better for the job. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, 
that's yeah. where those biases really and I could become even, problematic. I would even say there's a very interesting way to measure unconscious bias. I remember um, looking at an organization's employees' names because I had done a survey with this organization. And many of the names were very, 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 very similar. And it just was very a profound way of looking at this organization. Everyone's name was Amber, John, Sue, Lori. Like I could, I actually took them and put them inside of an Excel spreadsheet and sorted them by employee name. I did not see a lot of names that would automatically stand out to me that this person may be from a different ethnic background. And if wow. I did see one, it was a person of Indian descent who was in a um, IT role. Gotcha. Measure of unconscious bias, if I've ever seen one. We don't really measure the unconscious bias. What Cecilia is talking about is mitigating against it. Because it happens naturally, we have to trick our brains by putting in mechanisms that will blind us from some of the things that cause unconscious bias, like seeing someone's name that might not be easy to pronounce, seeing someone's address and knowing that it's in a different part of town or what people might call an unsavory part of town. So these are the things that naturally cause, oh, put this one in the don't pile and put this one in the do pile. We're looking, uh, we've had people tell us um, that organizations will call them their, uh, talent organizations and organizations will call them and say, hey, we need a guy over in the so-and-so department. Um, so, you know, women do that work as well too, right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> that is, and you know, it's pretty crazy to think about it, right? After, because maybe you got, this is where my introduction to the actual official diversity and inclusion topic really came to me maybe probably 10, 10 years ago, where I can really feel the formality of the topic, right? Yes. Now, Yield, I love it. and what is, what has happened to me is, you know, and I don't know, and maybe this is a question for you, Melissa, is have you experienced a, an unconscious bias situation? And how were you able to communicate that? Oh, and you know, it's funny because Cecilia and I, we were thinking about that this morning. I think everyone has experienced unconscious bias because it is something that happens to all of us. I think also many of us can say we've actually acted on unconscious bias because it's something that happens unconsciously. And I can give you a great example where we probably all have kind of done this. You're driving on the highway and you look over to the right and you see a car and on the right-hand side of that car, it's all beat up. It's been in a horrible accident. What's the first thing you do? You move to the next lane, you get away from that car. Unconscious bias. For all we know, this person is the mechanic who's taking the car from one place to the next to get it fixed. It could be dad taking his son's car. Son could have gotten an accident with the car. We don't know the, the story, but the first thing in my mind is I need to, that person doesn't care about their car and I care about mine and I need to move my car. And that you start to, uh, you start to create attitudes and behaviors now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So 
unconscious bias happens to all of us. It's it's it, we've experienced it and we've all kind of um, done it to others. An experience for a white male. He's a rich white man. Mm -hmm. No, we don't know that about every white male. <laughs> Very right. true. So Very that's an unconscious bias. Oh, you're a white male. You must be a Republican. That's not true. true. Right? That's Yeah. So it's Very. unconscious bias that happens all around the world. It's about being able to recognize it and mitigate it. And that is where <laughs> share your, your bathroom one. I really like that. Oh, one. well, and if you're looking for an opportunity to talk about an experience where it really happens to me, um, Saturday nights, Cecilia and I always, you know, before COVID-19 happened, we would <laughs> go out on date night on Saturday nights to the movie theater. At the end of the movie, we do what everyone who's just drank a 32 ounce soda does. We make a beeline to the restroom. And when we get to the restroom, we're standing in line. And I probably would have had on that day a baseball cap. I love the Yankees. So I have my, my Yankees cap on and probably a, a football jersey and some jeans and sneakers. I'm, it's Saturday. I'm relaxing. So I'm in line on the bathroom. I'm sorry. I'm online in the bathroom. And I feel someone tap me on the so shoulder. Excuse me. Excuse me, sir. You're in the wrong bathroom. I said, oh, my God, I turned on, no, I'm not. And I poke out my chest so she can see my breast. I'm not in the wrong place. I take my voice up an octave and <laughs> pull my hat back a little bit. And the woman says, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. But this happens to me just All at the time. And I hate going to the restroom in the airport because you know there's going to be a line in the airport. Yeah, I like to be able to go to the bathroom, immediately get into a stall, and you know, get out. But there's a new advent that they've created called the family restroom. Yes. Where anyone can go to that bathroom. That makes me a lot more comfortable. It's I don't get questioned because it's a single stall. And um, yeah, this has been happening to me over the course of my life. And that's a very big form of unconscious bias. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that personal experience because I think it's powerful, right? I think what the messaging is that in some shape or form through our either personal or professional career, we're going to face them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I would like to know from you, Cecilia, is in a professional setting, if I am in a professional setting and I experience something like this, whether with that is in a group and or personally with my leader, how do I communicate that? Mm -hmm. uh, should I? Right. Because what's happened to me is, you know, sometimes it happened with a leader I had and I felt like, oof, how do I tell her or him? It, I, this is the way I felt like this. That's, that's not me, mm -hmm. but it's my boss, you know? And I, I, and my, my error, I think was never voice, it and it kept it and subconsciously now mm -hmm. yeah I'm, and now resentment bills correct and melissa kind of to your point i'm now double checking myself because i don't want to go through that experience anymore i don't want to be in that position anymore to where maybe if i would have had a just candid conversation it probably would have gone better so how do you tell young professionals that are going, going to experience this in the professional setting? Um, what would you 
recommend in, 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 in a little bit of insight in there? Yeah, I think this is why building trust is so important. And especially now that we're working in a more remote environment where we don't have that direct connection as as we used to, right? Spending time to really get to know the people that you're working around because you're gonna have conflict at some point if these are the people that you work with. Mm -hmm. And so when you start to build that trust, when things like this happen, you have at least a foundation with which to be in the conversation. but let's say you don't have that foundation and, and you don't know what to do, that might be a perfect opportunity to start that and, and to, you know, share with the person, you know, in a, in a place where, you know, they're obviously, they're not in a public situation, you know, you to kind of take them um, aside and let them know the impact of, you know, what it was that they did and also give them grace, right? Because, we all make mistakes and most of us aren't called on it, right? And, and so we have to be humble in that way to allow someone to hear that knowledge, which can be a little bit, you know, expect a little defensiveness because people want to see themselves as good people. But if you're coming from a place of genuineness and wanting to build that relationship, I think it's important that you find a way to, to share that. And even if you need to go to maybe someone else that can help facilitate that conversation, Um, because like you said, like it will, the resentment will build Mm -hmm. and there's never been an opportunity to address it and try to make it better. Yeah, I totally, totally agree. I like the first, you have to have trust. You have to build that relationship. But if you don't have it, if you don't have trust, you don't have that relationship and you really need to tell this person what they just said was possibly had a negative impact on you or someone else. I use ouch and oops. Ouch. Melissa, did you know that what you just said could be seen as a microaggression? Oops, I'm so sorry. I I did not know. What what should I have said in in, uh, place of that? I learned we can't take something away from someone without giving them something. So we can't say, Melissa, you can't say that. We don't use that word anymore. Oh, I'm so sorry. Well, what do we say now? I don't know. <laughs> right. Right? Yeah. Help me out. Right? Help me Help out here. Me out here, right? So we want to give people that ouch and that oops. And Cecilia and I, Cecilia hit it on the head though. Humility, humble, being humble, having grace and empathy. This is like the heart, right? It's using your head and your heart at the same time. And that, um, you know, we take the, the golden rule and throw it out the window and say, oh, treat people the way um, you want to be treated. No, treat people the way they want to be treated and ask them how they want to be treated. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry I said that. How should I, right? That, that's beautiful. And I really never heard that analogy. That is so great because one of the things that, Melissa, that you brought up right now that it segues nicely into the next topic is microaggressions, right? Yeah. I really never heard, honestly, again, my introduction to the topic of DNI formally was 10 years ago, right? So my journey has been different, whether personally and professionally, saying, ah, this is the why things happen. Ah, this is how why I'm, I am in my professional career. Ooh, these are the barriers that unconsciously have 
been there for me and really never thought about it because why it was just another day for me mm -hmm. right i knew that i had just have to work probably double to three times harder than other right um yeah. but the microaggression thing was something new that i kind of probably started looking into about four three years ago and for those that probably don't know the microaggression can you kind of explain how those two tie together and how all this vicious cycle go, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, microaggressions are the act. So unconscious bias is a thought. Okay. A microaggression is action or words, right? Okay. And it's a small, subtle act. Um, sometimes it has, people have good intentions. They just have a horrible impact the way they land. Something I, someone could say to me um, when I was younger, I would always hear, you're such a beautiful girl. Why would you be gay? And does that mean that only ugly girls should be gay? You have to help people understand what they just said, right? Mm -hmm. The impact Correct. of what you're saying is it's not that I know your intentions are good. You're saying I'm a pretty girl. But the impact of what you just said, it hurt. Right. So yes. we have to recognize that intentions are good or okay, but our impact is what's important. Because when we talk about sexual harassment in the legal definition and we go into the court, the judge only cares about the impact of your actions, not the intentions. Uh, mm -hmm. Intentions don't hold up in court. Impact wow. do. So it's important for us to be. Are mindful of our actions and the impact that those actions have on others, whether it's the people directly in my workplace or the community. Organizations may have good intentions when they put products and services and messages out, but it's about the impact. The NFL may have had good intentions when they said no one should kneel, but it was the impact that it had on the African-American community that really stood out. Yeah, yeah. And you know, also from the individual perspective, I think it's important that we're aware that individuals who are targeted often for um, microaggressions are experiencing this all through their lives. So it's just like drops of water, right? Constantly, constantly over years of time. Um, like for example, something as simple as, oh, you're so articulate. You know, so if I'm giving a presentation somewhere, usually that's the terminology that's used. And um, that's happened all my life, but that's something that within the um, black community, um, people struggle with because the reason people say it is usually people are so surprised of your ability to articulate, right? So, you know, that's where the focus is as opposed to, oh, you know, um, your research was really, you know, well thought out and here's some of the things I really enjoyed about it. Um, it you know, and I think when you tell someone, hey, you know, when you say, you know, you're, you're articulate, this is how it feels for me. Usually that person has never heard that before. They've never experienced that before. And they, you know, so they, they don't, they're not making that systemic connection that I've heard that thing a million times. Right. So you're like the millionth person who said that. And that's not just by chance, right? It's because we're taught 
so many things like, okay, the black community isn't educated or doesn't have, you know, access to wealth and things like that. And people that don't have the opportunity to connect with those, those communities, they rely on those stereotypes when they're interacting with yes. people from those communities. And then that's why Cecilia says it's about building relationships. Yeah. With people so that you can learn more about people. And we also help people understand that no two people are alike. So just because you've had an experience with anyone from any walk of life, you cannot use that experience to dictate the next experience you're going to have with someone else. You know, um, helping people understand that piece is also really, really big. And then microaggressions can be um, multi-layered because microaggressions happen within communities of color as well. Using Cecilia's example of being articulate, when you're in the white community, you're being told, wow, you're really articulate. And when you go back home, they're telling you as a person of color, you talk like you're white. Ah, there you go. It's a microaggression as well. Mm -hmm. So it's important for us to recognize that all of us have these implicit biases and these microaggressions. And when someone says, wow, you talk like you're, oh, ouch, that hurt. I talk like I'm Melissa, you know, cousin, you know, me and you, we've been, remember when we were kids, we used to hang out together, try and help people recognize that I'm still the person that I am. I just happen to have a little bit of book learning, right? Yeah. Um, so you help people understand that. And we all are individuals at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. For sure. That's, that's a great explanation in which I have really never heard it. And, you know, I want to say two years ago, someone asked me, you know, Eric, every time we speak about diversity and inclusion, we're always talking about the differences and the differences. But one of the questions that was asked and really threw me a little bit back, and I'm going to ask both of you, uh, individually how, and see how, what the answer is. There's no right or wrong answer, but that was very clever is why don't, why do you always talk about the whys and the differences when you're talking about DNI and cultures and, and diversity, but not talk about what, it, what, what's, where's the commonality of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why, you know, when I teach about diversity in my professional life, when you teach about diversity, you know, um, as a consultant, we always start with what, what brings us together. And what brings us together is our own story. We each have a story mm -hmm. um, of our identity, of who we are and how we became to be who we are. And when you give people an opportunity to share their story, they feel heard and they feel valued the power of listening to someone's story is that now you have another way of thinking about this human being um, that goes far beyond just their race and their gender, mm -hmm. right? And, and those are the things that I think give people the foundation, the emotional and mental um, ability to then focus on the difference. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Because if you start with focusing on the difference, you become polarized. But if you really start to understand what's the things that, that connect us, now let's truly understand what divides us and let's fix those things mm -hmm. or let's find ways to create solutions where we're both considered. Mm -hmm. But that's because you've done the work ahead of time to build that foundation of trust to have those harder conversations. And then the foundation to the trust is self-awareness. Yes. Right? Okay. 
So right. part of what we help people understand is their own individual diversity DNA. My diversity DNA is I'm a black gay woman born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, moved to Minnesota. Like it's very intricate. My story is my diversity DNA. And you could find a black woman that looked exactly like me that was born on the same exact day in the same hospital in the same state. And we still are totally different. I have two twin brothers. They have the same DNA. They are totally different. People need to figure out who they are and appreciate who they are. Because once you can appreciate that I'm different and I'm this is my diversity DNA, now I can appreciate the diversity DNA that Eric brings to the table and mm -hmm. say, wow, Eric, you're different. You have this going on for yourself. You're in the financial services industry. You're a male. You're from, your family's from Honduras. This is your age bracket. You have this type of life experiences. Let's get to know each other. Let's compare some of those things. What do we have in common, right? Yeah. Similar right. to what you're saying, but it starts, we start with that individual because once you can recognize that you're diverse and you bring diversity to the table as a white male born in Minnesota, um, 35 years old, has two kids and a, a wife, all of that make his experiences upbringing, grew up in the rural Wisconsin, everything about that person, that's their diversity DNA. And no two white males are the same. So when we help them understand no two white males are the same, that white male can say, no two black women are the same. No two black males are the same because they recognize their own individual diversity dimensions. Yeah. Wow, fascinating. That's just fast. I mean, it's just fascinating, right? The human uh, behavior and human culture, it's just so to me. And, and when I think about this topic, right? Um, and for these young professionals or wherever you are in your journey in your professional industry, specifically in the insurance and finance, um, I have seen some growth. I have seen some purposeful movement um, and, uh, and, and on that behalf. Um, so before I let you two powerhouses go, I do want to take the opportunity and give you the opportunity um, to really um, have your own call to action to our industry. Um, it is extremely important that they hear from you as educators, as uh, experts, and furthermore, as brilliant uh, women in the profession that I uh find myself very, very, um, um, what, how do I, with the word I'm, um, I'm very, um, privileged to have, to, to, to know both of you. So Cecilia, um, in, in your own words, um, any call to action that you would like young professionals, uh, uh to have? Yes. I would say that, you know, the only person you really can control is yourself. And so in order to be successful now and into the future, you're going to have to have um, self-awareness, right? That's, that's where leadership starts. That's where emotional intelligence starts. And that's what you're going to need to really be able to navigate a diverse 
um, world, right, in a diverse workplace. So spend time, you know, doing self-assessments and, you know, becoming aware of what drives your behaviors, what, what motivates you. Um, you know, think about what communities um, you feel more comfortable with versus um, you do feel comfortable with. And, you know, challenge yourself to go outside of your comfort zone because that's the way that we're gonna grow by doing these new and different things. And for many of us, it's new and different things than even your family, right? You might be the first in your family to actually be doing some of these things. So that self-awareness is gonna be important on your journey to success. I would say, I love that idea, self-awareness. I would say get a mentor and mentor someone. Um, and just keep asking people. I It took me a few people. I had to ask a few people to be my mentor over the course of a few years until I found the person who was going to be um, the best mentor for me. And this person is a retired college president and um, she just had, she brings so much knowledge and wealth to my experiences. Um, and I mentor several people. So it's important to me to try to give back. So as a young professional, I believe, especially as a professional of color, it's important for you to get a mentor that does not look like you. And it's important for you to mentor people that do not look like you. Um, and if you could even go outside of your own comfort zone and, and mentor people, that would be even better. Just try and get a mentor and try and mentor people because it's going to expand you as a professional, you know? Yeah. Thank you so much. I've learned so much from this topic here today. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, joining Off the Record.